It is your money. Welcome. I'm Susie Jones. And remember, if you have a financial question for Peg, you can call this number 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It is one eight 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 six advice And you can email your questions as well to your money at wealthenhancement.com. You can also call or text our studio line right now with a financial question. It is 651-461-9226. Here is now Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor, Peg Webb. Bruce is off today. Hello, Peg. Good morning, Susie. Welcome. And we actually have a super special frequent guest uh, that we're going to talk to today, Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor, Nicole Webb. Well, Nicole, uh, most listeners who have uh, frequented this show I know that she's a national wealth management um, team player focusing on high net worth families and their complex needs. But she's actually been in the business 18 years, hard for me to believe, uh, in the financial service industry with lots of experience in asset management, mostly on the institutional and the family office side of business. Uh, She served on so many boards within Wealth Enhancement Group, those 18 years, the investment committee, the product committee, the advisory council, graduated from the University of St. Thomas, local in in Minnesota. And probably some of you have seen her recently on Fox Business and Bloomberg TV and radio. She also is my daughter. And because the topic today is passing good habits on to your kids, I thought, why not have Nicole Webb on? Welcome, Nicole. Hi, thanks for having me and good morning. We feel like it's um, important before we even get into the topic. I have to tell you, there's such a great outpouring of compassion for the the Ukrainians right now. And, you know, we're getting some comments from clients when I'm doing their reviews. You know, what can they do? You know, how can they help? Uh, we also get some questions on, you know, how is that going to affect things that we thought were going to happen, like interest rates going, you know, um, increasing quickly. And what does this really mean to us? Our investment team has been posting, you know, our clients with some narrative about what's been happening the last couple of weeks. But I thought maybe we could comment a little bit more on that, Nicole. Yeah, absolutely. And um I feel like there's a lot to unfold here and a lot of conflicting headline news. The mm-hmm. the first thing I'm going to say, and um, and it, it's always with some heaviness, but I want to remind everyone that the markets absolutely do not have a conscience. So everything that I'm about to say in terms of what we can think about, how we can plan for um, the market and its performance in you know, over the course of the extension of this conflict happening abroad, but then also what would one expect on the far side of it um, really comes down to, you know, how are businesses going to be able to handle the ripple effect of the geopolitical environment? And so it's, it's always with heaviness that we talk about positivity on the far side of, of uh, human suffering. What I want to remind everyone first is that if the United States market remains resilient, which it does look primed to do because we came into this geopolitical environment um, 
so strong. And actually, we saw a lot of the pricing in of the potential of Russia taking action all the way back through the month of January. So this may very well continue to be an isolated event that stays more specific um, to having an immediate impact on Europe. And if that's the case for the United States, this will be another growth scare. We've actually had four of them since the last financial crisis back in 2008. And statistically, from the bottom of each of those four growth scares, the S&P recovered plus 24% over the following six months. And so, again, oftentimes in moments of this type of conflict, we see the bottom happen pretty early on during the turmoil. The other thing Peg mentioned was why, you know, to some extent, why have there been some days of positive performance uh, in the midst of what's going on. And so I just want to provide a little bit clarity there in that the market is actually receiving clarity on top of better valuations because of the, the pullback we experienced in the first six weeks. So we had valuations down to a forward uh, price-to-earnings ratio of about 19, and that is about five to six points different from where we entered the year. So it, it signaled the buying opportunity on top of this clarity that the Fed probably couldn't uh, increase rates um, at the rate that had been expected. And so when you expect a dampening of rate hikes, that actually bodes very well um, for the valuations of companies and their ability to navigate margin because of expense in light of all of the inflation around them. So lots going on there, but really all of that is to say, um, you know, don't panic if you are really concerned. Um, you know, one of the themes that I say often, whether it's about Russia or China or really any country, is we don't invest in countries, we invest in companies, and then always go back to your financial plan. But um, just wanted to kind of tighten up some of the narratives, some of the headline news, uh, and its impact on the market in the weeks ahead. Yeah, thank you, Nicole. And and I also am uh, getting questions on, you know, how could people help uh, monetarily? Well, I would just caution people: be careful of what you're, where you're sending your money, because social media tends to uh, gravitate towards trying to trick people into that it's going to go for the cause that you want. So just a little highlight there. Okay, so let's get back to the topic of the day here, passing good money habits on to your kids. And all parents, including myself, you know, hoped that Nicole, like you're all thinking about your own children, will re achieve this financial independence. Well, what does financial independence really mean? Does that mean, hey, paying your own bills, living within your means? Um, there's no real technical definition of financial independence, but statistically the federal poverty level says earning an income of at least 100%, 150% of that poverty level. So what I thought we would do today, Nicole, is just talk a little bit about how young adults are doing right now. And then there are seven strategies, you know, that we like to pass on to kids for good habits. And then maybe we could get through those. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's great. And I, I actually think this topic is pretty relevant, too, as we talk about 
our recent experiences in the post-COVID world. And we did, we pulled a lot of statistical data. I don't know that we'll go through every stat, but one of the questions that I've been asked by clients over the last six months is, where did all the workers go? Because it does feel like there shouldn't be such a shortage of workers for jobs like Starbucks, Target, some of some of those um, jobs. And the data that we saw in getting ready for today is really interesting because it highlights how few teenage workers and college-age workers there are in the marketplace versus even 10 years ago. So I think this is a little, this is a very relevant topic today to just talk about and highlight how the effect also has impacted the jobs market and the consumer experience overall um, in, in light of uh, kind of this contraction of younger people working. Um, and so I think that, that that part is very interesting as well. At least I found it interesting. Yeah, and I think that you're right, Nicole, in that the pandemic, I think there was such a scare that even if the, the kids wanted to work, the parents were a little reluctant to have their kids out there. And, um, you know, most of those uh, employers like restaurants and shops and, you know, tourist attraction places, those are the places that they go. But when we think about that, um, you know, so are we actually failing as a society to pass good money habits and work ethic on our kids? So, I am totally biased because when you were, as soon as you could get a job, I'm like, you need to get a job. And part Did of that is. Do you remember how I punished you? <laughs> no, tell me. <laughs> well, my, you, you actually had me get my first job before I could drive a car. And so, and I jokingly say I punished you. I, I think it might have punished my father more because someone had to drive me to the bagel shop at the crack of dawn on Saturday and Sunday mornings. And so, you know, I, uh, I was thinking about that this morning when you brought that up. And I think what happens, Nicole, is, you know, you tend to look, gravitate towards your own personal experience as a parent. And so I had such pride in working. My first job was at 12 years old. But I had such pride and excitement that that was actually my money and that I could make decisions. So it kind of helped me as a kid, you know, learn about saving and planning for, the, you know, the future or having the freedom to go to the dime store and buy whatever I wanted, not what my parents, you know, bought me. So it's interesting, and you might know more about this, but I still find that the, the parents somewhat try to rely on the schools to teach, you know, this financial literacy. But it does bear a lot of uh, on the parents. Uh, and so maybe you could just address that a little bit. Yeah. The first thing that I, I think in, that listeners will be interested in is, um, you know, we have a, a society that's a little bit in conflict because we have we are so proud of the fact that so many people go to college today. And what that has led to is ever-increasing student loan debt. It means that there's lower wages for entry-level jobs, simple supply and demand. We have such a big supply of, of graduation, graduating students every spring. And in addition to that, soaring housing costs. And we've seen that. I mean, it if you look around any uh, suburban, first-ring suburb or metropolitan area, 
you're always seeing cranes building multifamily housing, right? So apartment buildings. In stark contrast to that, though, it's created an incredibly competitive environment for getting into college, one that requires or demands almost a lot of volunteer work, um, academic, you know, committee involvement, sports. And so we're now seeing less than 30% of U.S. teens having paying summer jobs or jobs during the work or school year, which is a staggering change over just even the last two decades. And so on the flip side of that, we're actually seeing 60% of parents reporting that they are still supporting their adult children. And, and I bring all of that up to say, you know, there are, we hear a lot about these jobs that are available, but we've had this major cultural shift. And so how then do we talk about or pass on good money habits to our kids? And it really boils down to you simply cannot rely on, on acad the academic environment, which isn't going to focus on that because the academic environment today is putting a lot of pressure on these extracurriculars. So perhaps, Peg, you want to jump in with some of these um, first things parents can do that aren't specific to even having a job? Well, yes, because I have um, I have a lot of uh, experience here in starting the kids early. And how do you focus on contentment? So some experts suggest as early as two or three years old, like when they're toddlers, uh, they associate, hey, I want some ice cream or I want this little toy and they want, you know, instant gratification. But maybe, and it was easy for me, Nicole, um, when you and Kate were young, in that there wasn't unlimited resources. No, you can't have that. No, you can't have that. Well, maybe I didn't do the best as to explaining why you couldn't have that. But all I remember is one day you said to me, Mom, just go to that machine. And I thought, what is she asking me? Like, go to that machine. And she said, you know, the one where you just put this card in and the money spits out. Well, that was the, you know, automatic money machine in your mind. And you were all about three and a half years old at that time. And so I had to define that that money is not just, you know, unlimited. I had to put enough in a savings account to be able to pull that money back out. And then, um, and then first we had to pay for all the fixed expenses. And then there was this discretionary amount uh, that we were able to use for things like ice cream and toys. Nicole? Yeah. And also, you know, there's this notion of, you know, focusing on contentment with your children and easier said than done, I'm sure, um, as someone who's never raised a child, that there are probably times where you just want to soothe your child's behavior by giving them whatever it is that they want. But, you know, focusing away from the youngsters, but more, you know, focused on teens, it, it's these basic acts, I think, of maybe being even more open about your own personal situation to some degree to help kids or teenagers specifically understand what a paycheck really looks like after their wages have deducted what it costs to keep a family household going. What I mean by that is insurance costs, both for health and life, then saving for retirement to get the company match, 
then what kind of taxes are you paying? Social Security, Medicare, state and local taxes, federal taxes. Because one of the largest purchases you make is your college education. And I have to say, even though I grew up with an, surrounded by financial literacy, it was still kind of a slap to the face that St. Thomas cost X per year. And that was more than I was going to make net of all of those things in my first job out of college. And so I think the gravity of what a net paycheck really looks like, what it really costs to run a household, is just one of those eye-opening experiences that you're definitely not getting in the high school classroom. And one that I would just encourage more transparency around early on, especially as you start to think about the kind of size and impact of, of student loan debt. And I know we walk this fine line between wanting to encourage and support academia and the pursuit of you know, dreams, but at the same time, uh, it's almost come with, with unrealistic expectations about what life looks like after college. Peg? Yeah, and, and I think it, you you hit it on the head there in that um, just the basics of like setting up in a bank account and how much did you save and how much did you spend and maybe you you know you're philanthropic and you want to give some away. You see your parents doing that now, and and so all of these things though, if you don't talk to the kids about them, then they watch you. They're very good at watching and mirroring. So if you're not doing a good job at any of those things, just be careful because, you know, those kids are watching and they will in, inherently have your habits. Then um, because we're investment people, you know, so now you've got the basics going, you know, teaching them about basic investing. Yeah. And, and I think, too, um, the world has changed and it's changed so quickly. We've seen we have now. Um, about an equal weighting between institutional money managers and retail investors managing their own wealth. So I do think that this is a topic that is, thanks to technology, easier to address early on in the household and one to help, you know, um, start building those building blocks for kids about where to put money outside of just savings in the bank on a, on a monthly basis or even a weekly basis, whatever it might be. Um, and then also really helping to better define some of the terminology used around budgeting, expenses, taxes, and then when it comes to investing, risk. And and more around the topic of what is the definition of risk and how does one invest money or think about investing money in different ways based on that risk. And it's about falling short of goals. It's also about is there is there the ability for permanent loss of capital? Those are two very different things and helping younger people start to identify, is this money that should be saved in the bank because it's a short-term goal and I cannot afford permanent loss of capital? Or is this money that I'm earning at 16, 17, 18 years old and my hope is at 26, 27, 28, that I can afford to make a down payment on a new house? And how do you go about, you know, balancing those two activities? Um, and I think some of that terminology can get quite fluffy and maybe a little bit diluted um, without those building blocks of conversations that can be happening around the household. 
Yeah, we've got just a little bit of time. And, and so far what we've done is we've talked about, you know, uh, starting early and focusing on, you know, uh, the kids either watching you or you should specifically help them that you can't afford to buy them everything. Uh, basically, uh, the basics of budgeting and then kind of highlighted the basics of, of investing. But I still want to get to, you know, when you're a teenager, how do you do all that? I want to talk about um, compounding of money. And then why are the parents motivated to even help, you know, kids? So, Susie, when we come on the backside, we'll continue on with this a little bit. But if we could ask for uh, listeners to get involved. That would be great. And the number to call if you have a question and you're listening and you have a kid that you support, <coughs> that would be kind of me, not in a big way, but still. <laughs> it is 651-461-9226. Again, the number to text or call with your question, 651-461-9226 on WCCO. It is your money. And welcome back. I'm Susie Jones. It is your money. And if you have a financial question for Peg, you can call 1-888-6-ADVICE. That is the office, and they will answer your call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can also email a question to yourmoneyatwealthenhancement.com. In the meantime, we have about a half an hour left on this show where you can call 651-461-9226 or you can text our studio line as well at that same number, 651-461-9226. Now here once again is Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor, Peg Webb. Hey, Peg. Thanks, Susie. Yeah, it, thank you, Susie. Take, it, take uh, it away, I was going to say. Okay. <laughs> so we're talking today about passing good money habits on to kids. Uh, we do have a frequent guest with us, so I'll just introduce her again in case you're just joining us on the top of the hour and you missed the first half. But Nicole actually works for Wealth Enhancement Group. She's been in the um, financial industry for 18 years already. Uh, Lots of experience in investment management, money management, uh, taking care of clients, uh, been serving on the round table all these years and, and helping out with the different Wealth Enhancement Group boards. Graduated from the University of St. Thomas. Lots of you have probably seen her as a frequent guest of Fox Business. That's actually TV, guys. Uh, She doesn't get to hide behind a radio like Bruce and I do. And then Bloomberg TV and radio. And so um, Nicole was a perfect one to say, yes, thank you, Nicole, for coming on and talking about passing good money uh, habits on to your kids. But as we were talking in the beginning, and I'd like to say that when you – talk about passing on these habits, I ended with emulate. So a lot of these kids will emulate what the parents are doing if you don't sit down and and talk to them about it. So I know we have callers. I know we have listeners. It can be on any topic. It doesn't have to be on passing good money habits on to your kids. But I wanted just to close this out with, um, you know, teenagers earning money and then What's the motivation of a parent to provide financial assistance? Um, Maybe you could take the first one about the teenage part, and then I can certainly talk about how it is as a parent wanting to help. Yeah, happy to. You know, I've said it to you, Peg, as we prepared for today. Um, It's hard for me to do anything as a non-parent, right? I've never 
successfully raised a teenager with good money habits. And I put that out there to say, all I can do is talk about my own personal experiences. But I did have a part-time job. I did work while I went to undergrad. I did pay for my postgraduate work. Um, And I certainly, you know, find that to have been a very positive experience in retrospect. I am not going to say that it was without envy you know, of friends along the way that didn't have those same responsibilities. But I do believe that it benefited me over the long term versus my peers that didn't have those same experiences coming out of of undergrad. Um, And so I would encourage, and as we talked about at the top of of the show, you know, we're seeing seeing less than 30% of American teenagers working, whether it's summer jobs or even part-time jobs during the school year. And that is a drastic reduction over the last 20 years. And so what I can share is that it was a great experience for me to be able to provide for myself. And I do believe created long-term incentive, meaning I will, there are days that I don't love working, but I do have some practicality around it's a means to an end. It's the ability to accomplish goals and to do the things that I do think are fun. Um, And so you know, careers afford you the luxury of hobbies because hobbies are expensive. Um, and that's something that I carry with me. But Peg, maybe you can share a little bit more about how you uh, provide that motivation. Well, what I can tell you is being a parent is probably the biggest job you will ever have uh, in your career. And what I mean by that is there's such an emotional tie so for, for me to tell you that you are going to pay 50% of your own college costs, knowing that I could afford to pay that for you was very difficult for me. And I did smile, though, because when the first statement came from the student loans that you took out, you asked me, because you opened the envelope and you asked me and said, what is this interest? This is 7.5%. This is ridiculous. So it was a teaching moment there as well. So there's good things that come out on the backside. But I have to tell you, as a parent, it is hard. And I talk to my clients a lot about this. They want to help out. But yet, if you just hand the money over, they are not going to learn the lessons of life that they need to to be a good steward of their own you know, financial uh, future. And so I think we all know this. But, Nicole, I have to tell you, as a parent, it's hard. It's hard to really hold those lines. So then um, lastly, I'll just close this by saying, you know, we work with a lot of families and families ask us questions about their kids and their grandkids. And we are so happy to help and say, well, these are suggestions that we make uh, to all the clients. And you can take some of that advice. And then the last thing I'll say is sometimes the kids don't listen to the parents. You know, there's some outside influences, which I'm witnessing is the grandparent tends to get through to the kids of the lessons of money more so than even the parents. So that's just me witnessing what our clients have been successful doing is maybe just giving it to the grandparent and saying, would you mind sitting down with Johnny or Susie or whatever? So, Hey, uh, Susie, speaking of Susie, would you, uh, let's get the listeners involved. Sure. 651-461-9226. That is the number to call or text if you have a question 
for Peg or Nicole, uh, whether it is about money and your children or any other financial topic. Is that right? This is open to any topic, correct? Open open lines at this point. Okay, very good. Um, this person writes, uh, let us talk about a couple of thoughts. Good morning. Thanks for the show. A couple of thoughts. Number one, individual investors can make ethical choices when investing. Number two, there are ways to assure that... Uh, your your offering and also so envelopes in the outgoing mail address to places like Union Gospel Mission. I'm not sure what this one is talking about. The oh, they want to know about the charity monitor. Parents leading by example in terms of when you're helping your kids learn about money, you should also talk about charity and how to help them understand that some of their money could go to help others. Can you kind of talk about that? Sure, Nicole. Do you want that one? Yeah. So a couple of things. I think it really boils back down to, um, you know, that exercise and that exposure in um, sharing household budgeting and how you create um, a line item in your budget for giving back. And whether that's giving back with time or giving back with uh, financial means. And how if there isn't room in the budget for one, perhaps you can create room in the budget of time, right? Both time and money are not unlimited resources. And I think that is equally as important to address. So there's only 24 hours in any given day. Everybody receives the gift of those same 24 hours. And when it comes down to budgeting, you budget both your time and your financial means. Um, and I think the, both of those exercises need to happen in tandem, and that's the first way to get kids' arms around, um, you know, kind of making those choices. The other, that that comment around ethical choices, and something that we talk a lot about in the investment world is if we're not putting our money towards that, then how are we perpetuating what we want to see happen in the future? And so whether that be investment in female-owned, minority-owned, you know, businesses, um, green projects, whatever it is that you're deeply passionate about, I think that's something that also goes into that education around investing and how you can you can support causes while also, you know, investing in businesses. All right, we. Yeah, I was for, oh, Go ahead. Uh, one, one, one second. I was um, really fortunate in that my first financial advisory position at 22 years old that I worked for a gentleman who had four small children. And it was almost as if I was trying to live through that person's life. So what he did was he had a, uh, he created this a third, a third, a third. A third you can spend, a third you need to save, and a third you need to give away. And I've never forgotten that. And so I like how you added, though, Nicole, about it doesn't necessarily have to be money, Yep, other textures writing at 651-461-9226. Does Wealth Enhancement have a lawyer who does wills or trusts? Simple question. Peg? I can I'll, this Oh, is either goal. one. Okay. We, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we absolutely do. And in addition to that, we, uh, so not only can we provide the advice, also the administration, administration being, um, you know, making sure that your asset base actually 
speaks to those prepared documents, you Peg can attest to, that step is missed by so, well, such a high percentage of people, it's alarming. Um, so one of the ways in which we unify a situation is to make sure that all three pillars of planning are speaking to each other, meaning is your estate plan speaking to your tax structure and are those two working in tandem with your investment strategies specific to your household? And so that administration piece is hugely important as well. So Wealth Enhancement Group does also have a trust company um, for those looking for that next layer, be it a corporate trustee or, or the advisor of, uh, advice, advice of such. Yeah, it's kind of interesting, Nicole, in that um, our clients are familiar with this, but uh, prospective clients or people that come in uh, for an introductory meeting, uh, 99% of them do not know what their existing will or trust says. And part of the problem with that is that they're written in a way that, you know, the IRS could decode it, but they're not necessarily written in a way that we can read them as a consumer and just say, oh, I know what's happening in here. So I like that you pointed out one of our first steps in our unified planning is creating a summary of what your wills and trusts say. And so that's a basis for a start. So, uh, Susie? Very good. And we have more text at 651-461-9226. Can we use the recent IRS updated distribution schedule for this year's tax preparation, or is it not yet official? Is that one you guys can take? Uh, yeah, we, oh, for sure. For sure. I'll take this one, Nicole. So the, okay. IR, the IRS distribution, I'm assuming they're talking about the required minis, min, minimum distribution table. And that table tells us what percentage uh, and a factor at what age. So required minimum distributions now start at 72 some of you who were already started at 70 and a half have to continue to do that. But that actual table changed on January 1st of 2022. So the answer would be in regards to 2021 taxes. No, there was a required minimum distribution already stated based on the value of your 1231-2020 end of values. So now when you're looking at 2022 and when you file for your taxes in 2023, you will be using this new table. Susie? All right. Another texture writes, is it bad to invest in international companies because of the uncertainty of war and the volatility of these countries that are involved? Nicole? I can take this. Okay. Yeah, I'm happy to lead with this one. Sure. Um we would say absolutely not, that this is not a bad time to be investing abroad. Yes, it will come with more short-term uncertainty, but at the same time, even before we went into the geopolitical environment that we're operating in now, um, we actually were seeing discounts relative to companies domiciled in the U.S. in excess of 30 35% for similarly operating companies. What I mean by that is free cash flow, cash reserves, um, guidance on earnings potential on a forward basis. So relatively speaking, that wave of outperformance has happened in, in the U.S. predominantly, and we should 
see that shift. Now, there might be a slowing to that, but also if you are someone who has the ability to either rebalance your portfolio or if you're adding new money to the market, you could certainly see this as an opportunity if you can withstand that short-term volatility, meaning zero to three years, not just a week, um, to be buying markets at a discount relative to, to the U.S. market. I wholeheartedly agree with Nicole in that a lot of times people, when they ask us that question, they're asking us about the stock market in the foreign countries. And I see the stock market being longer term, meaning 10 or more years. And so when you're looking at uh, investing today, or I love what you said, rebalancing, then you are buying some things lower and you have to ask yourself, you know, within a decade of time, is that going to make sense long term? Susie? Another texture wanted to congratulate Nicole. She is a five-star 2022 wealth manager. And she, again, actually also Preston. Is it Keening? Preston? Koning, Koning. yes. Koning. Actually, both yeah. of them. Yeah, you um, talk about that. That's kudos to them, huh? Well, Nicole specifically, just because I have it right in front of me, um, got this award 2015, 16, 17, 18, 19, skipped a couple years, and now she's 2022 winner of the five-star wealth manager designation. This is actually given by the Minneapolis St. Paul Magazine and the Twin Cities Business Magazine. And so, yes, Preston Koenig, who's also on the web team, Web Koenig web team, um, and we're so proud of them, uh, and they've been long-tendered people at Wealth Enhancement Group that believe in comprehensive planning, believe in good money management, believe in you know keeping in touch with the clients, and that's why you get these awards is because you actually follow through. So congratulations, Nicole. Congratulations, Nicole. And all of our listeners are congratulating you. 651-461-9226. This texter writes, good morning. I'm 64 years old, retired, and not planning on taking any of my 401k or Roth until I'm 72. I'm in a moderate risk investment category. And in the past month, I've lost a lot in capital. So I'm wondering when I should pull back and place my investments in a safer place I can't afford to keep losing at this game, uh, exclamation point. Uh, Peg or <laughs> Nicole choose to pick this one? Yeah, I, I mean, I'll, I'll kick things off. And Peg, I'm sure you'll have additional points um, from a planning perspective. But there is no doubt about uh, the fact that this has been a challenging year thus far um, for a 60-40 a or a moderate portfolio, and when I say 60-40, I mean 60% equity or stock exposure, 40% fixed income. Even bonds, fixed income overall had a really tough go this year uh, because there was this expectation that the Fed was going to raise interest rates. And if you go back to the old Peter Totter analogy, as rates go up, the valuation of bonds on paper uh, you know, tend to go down. They're worth less in the open market if you took them to say it for sale. And then the equity markets, as we all know, have been rattled and disjointed on a day-to-day basis over the last few weeks um, and, and months, really. So the most important thing I can say to you is 
you should not abandon your overall strategy in light of short term. And so if you caught what I said earlier today, you know, there is a high propensity for events like this to actually catapult us further in a positive direction on the far side. The duration of this moment in time is still to be determined and it might get worse before it gets better. But certainly if we talk about a 64-year-old today who isn't touching money for eight years, it's hard to suggest that one should pull back their exposure to the equity markets, especially in the face of roaring inflation that is going to have a really hard time being dampened when the Fed um, is trying to take action, you know, in the midst of, of the crisis that we're in. So, again, I would say, you know, if you can afford to stay the course, which it certainly sounds like you can at, at this time and at the high surface level, and if you're still concerned, you know, that's where I would suggest that you do meet with a financial planner to make sure that your investment mandate or that overall strategy for you specifically actually does fit within the parameters of a financial plan. Okay. I'll just, I'll just quickly add here. I think we're spoiled rotten, quite frankly, because the last five years have been so good. I do these reviews and I'm showing them the five-year average and everybody's happy. And then Right now, the down that we lost year to date is only a fraction of what we gained last year. So we have to put this all back into perspective. And I love what Nicole said is keep your long-term strategy. Don't let this short-term distract you. Susie? I had someone tell me about 30 years ago, Rome was not built in a day about investments. <laughs> that's perfect. <laughs> and that's good and bad. I mean, you need to look at it, but you also don't need to uh, panic if things look a little wobbly. But this is a great opportunity. We have about less than a minute to remind people, Peg, that they sh- it's a great idea to come and get a consultation or, or a checkup, a financial checkup. And people can do that, right, at 888-6-ADVICE, or they can email your money at wealthenhancement.com and come in and Talk to somebody and see what's what and get a good game plan. So thank you all for being part of the show. Thanks, Peg. Thanks, Nicole. See you all next time.